Yeah, we're starting a, a new month of September, obviously, and a new theme for the month is built around the scripture of in uh, Nehemiah. Our 40 days of prayer with uh, the Rick Warren material will come to a close on the 10th, or I think it's the 10th or the 9th, can't remember which day it would be. I guess it's probably the 9th, is it? Yeah, anyway, uh, there is a new Bible reading plan that, that uh, you don't know about, but I do. Um, I don't know whether you got that email back there before, Matt, but I did send it to you during the service because I thought I haven't told anybody that. But just if you're interested, we're going to do a Bible reading plan from you version called Unquestionable Character. Um, and it's a 21-day study in stewardship. You may recall we announced um, back in June, I think, that we had moved our Build to Reach offering from July, early July, which is where we've traditionally had it, through to the last Sunday of September this year. So we're going to be looking at the whole realm of building and in particular rebuilding and just how we go about um, looking to the future and what God wants us to do as a church. And so our Build to Reach offering, an annual offering, which is about the way we reach into our community, both through our church building here and our presence at Parkside now, or in Unley, physically at Unley, in Arthur Street, but also the other things we do, uh, not that we've done them this year and we're not likely to do them in the next year either, maybe, uh, depends what happens with the coronavirus lockdowns and restrictions, but we would love to get back to Fiji next year. Um, we would plan, Julie and I would plan to get into back into the European scenario at some point, but that could be years away. And uh, we're not going to be getting anxious about that, but we just want to make sure we keep listening to what it is that God wants us to do. Got a few other ideas, and uh, Cole's being thrown into the fire of how we reach our community. That will announce as the month progresses as well. So um, I look forward to that being the case. So Bible reading plan, you version, unquestionable character. We'll email that out tomorrow. Um, so you've got a picture of what it looks like in your head, and you can get stuck into that from the 9th. It's 21 days, it'll get you through to the end of September. Um, who likes going to the dentist? Give me a wave if you love going. Who loves just getting in that seat and the dentist, my dentist's a great guy, he's a big, tall South African guy, he's, he's built like a brick outhouse, about six foot six, and he's big, uh, and he's good for pulling teeth. Just telling you, um, I had a, a smaller statue person trying to pull a tooth out of my mouth a few years back, and it got stuck, they couldn't, they couldn't get it out, and it was driving them nuts, so they said, oh, I might have to go and get Chris. I thought, oh, yeah, okay. And Chris came in, and like I said, he's got his, his hand's bigger than my head. I mean, honestly, he's a big boy. And he gets in there with his back tooth. I said, nah, it's not coming out. I thought, man, and my head was going like this. And he said, can you hold still? I said, I'm trying to, but you're a brute. Like that kind of language, you know what I mean. Anyway, I digress. Dentists, nobody put their hand up. Um, if you've got a toothache, anyone had their tooth drilled lately for a filling? Just give me a wave if you've had a filling in the last couple of years. Uh, not, not yet. We've got good dental hygiene here. This is good to see. Who remembers going to the dentist when they were a child? How many people had fillings when they were a child? Oh, there's a few more hands going up now. Who was traumatised by going to the dentist? Okay, what do they have in the, in the, chem, in the dentist? Drills. Does anybody remember? I remember when I was a child. I, we lived at Allgate and my dentist was at Stirling. And my dentist had this contraption. He got put back in the chair. He had this contraption that was kind of like a crane, but a mini one, with little sprocket wheels on it. 
and the wheels whirled around to change direction of a drive. And so I had this, actually a belt on, and it came over and down the end of this arm was this horrible little drill head with a drill bit. Anybody remember that kind of thing? And it made a particular noise. It's like, Anyway, went to the last, most recent dentist's appointment for a filling, which I have had one of those in the last 10 years. I was very pleased to see that they've gotten rid of the cogs and the wheels and there's just this kind of grey tube that looks like it's like a hose, but it's got another little contraption on the end and it goes, bzzz, bzzz, bzzz. And I thought, ooh, that sounds interesting. As soon as it went into my mouth and I felt it, I thought, that's just going a whole lot faster. And this dentist, he's so good, he said, can you feel that? I said, yep. He says, I'll give you some more injection there. So it's all anaesthetized. I'm, I'm a wuss. Does anybody go into the chair and just say, I don't need that stuff. I'm like Dave Schultz, I can eat raw eggs. <laughs> Nobody, anybody waving at me saying they've turned down? Les. Yeah, that'd be right, Les. And Mr. Tomer. Oh, I don't know, what a tough act to follow. Anyway, you realise that when you go to the dentist, they have now got way upgraded and very nice, as in capable and equipment to drill your teeth, right? So if you turned up to the dentist and he said to you, the, the, the drill's broken down today. It's, got a, it's actually, there's something wrong with it, but I've got a backup. Almost sounds fast enough. I'll put it on high speed. There you go. How would you feel if I came down here and just said, open up? Uh, Eddie, you're a bit of a bloke. You know, you reckon, do you reckon you'd be feeling like, uh, no, it's kind of the wrong tool. It's actually a drill. It's got a lot. You can even see what you're doing in there. Like, pretty natty, but it's a drill. But it's the wrong type of drill. There's a Makita. <laughs> that just went in public. That's uh, uh, no brand names. It's like, yes, no, it's okay. Devolt. <laughs> yeah, well, we could have a bit of a, a brand competition, couldn't we? Um, so it's a drill, but it's not designed to drill teeth. It probably could if you're really desperate, but I, I just, I wouldn't volunteer. I'll leave it down there just so a little bit of a focal point. You know, we all have um, moments when we get stuck with a toothache. There's moments when life kind of can back us into a corner that appears to be uh, difficult to get out of. And we're going to look this month at the story of Nehemiah, which is a story of a, a nation that got stuck in a place of captivity. The Israelites have been carted off into captivity into Babylon the uh, whole nation had been ransacked. The temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. The city had been destroyed. And the people cut it off. When I say the people, it's, you've got to understand most of the people, lots of the people. But when a country gets ravaged like that, somebody needs to stay around to grow food and feed the conquering hordes that still stayed there. And so many of the less well-off people and poorer people of the time who worked the land didn't get taken anywhere. They were left out in their rural communities. So there was a remnant of Jewish people in Israel, but a lot of the people that were, let's just say the elites and the wealthy ones, and all their wealth were carted off to Babylon. So that's just the background story. 
In the book of uh, Nehemiah, there's, uh, in our Bible, we have Ezra and Nehemiah. They're really kind of one story in two books about the same period of time with two different characters that are influential, Ezra and Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is um, focused... Sorry, Ezra comes chronologically in the Bible before Nehemiah. Some of the scholars that I read during the week uh, cannot agree on the timeline. Some believe that it was the other way around and that Nehemiah appeared first and they've got their theories and the way it's written and this, that and the other. It's like, I don't think it's really worth getting our knickers in a knot because we, we weren't there. And it, to some extent, doesn't matter which way around it happened chronologically. But what happened is two things happened. One is Ezra presided over the restructuring of the temple, which had been destroyed. The temple where God's name was established which was a huge theological conundrum for the Israelites. They like the all-powerful God's name, which is all-powerful, has been ransacked by a pagan king and, and, and country. What are we going to do about that? So one thing was the temple was destroyed and then the whole city of Jerusalem, the walls were torn down. And the ancient world, tearing down the walls of a city was kind of like the big description of like just totally had it, completely and utterly stuffed. Um, we don't have a wall around Adelaide, so we can't get our head around what the city wall coming down really really relates to. Um, but let's just say complete and utter devastation. So we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 1. This is, um, they said to me, this is Nehemiah's words, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. So he's talking about some people who'd already returned and people who'd never gone. But they're, they're living under an oppressive um, and just continuous background noise of you guys are losers. You're never going to amount to anything. You've been overtaken. You're a pack of losers. And the, 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 the narrative in the country would have been endlessly negative. And so he's hearing this negative feedback. The wall of Jerusalem is broken and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. First step that Nehemiah takes, that's a great step. When we find ourselves with nowhere to go, what do we do? He went straight to God. He went straight to God. Say he went, he went. straight to God. I've got to ask you, do you do that? Now, some of us would say yes, perhaps. Some of us would say sometimes, depends on how serious the matter it is. Um, I want to just talk a little bit about some of that. So during or at the end of a setback season or disaster, we are pushed to make decisions about the future. Getting stuck doing nothing about a difficult season is actually doing something about it. It's a decision that we all make or can make. But getting up and doing something is also a decision. And the story of Nehemiah is about getting up again. The story of Nehemiah is about making a decision to step into and make some changes to life. But I want to talk to you about what's behind that. So let's just hit this little bit of a, a clip here, please, Matt. See if you recognise this song. I get knocked down, recognizes that song? Who knows the lyrics to that song? You notice that it got sort of clipped right there, right? 
What I love about that, that song, that part of the song, is that it, and it caught off, it's a one-hit wonder. The band, in case you're wondering, is Chumbawamba, and the song is Tub Thumping from about the mid-90s. I did a bit of research when I realised the lyrics were a little colourful and uh, found out that they were a bunch of extreme left-wing anarchists who hated everything about Western democracy from Northern England and they, had, they, were, just, they, they were just like angry young people. Turns out they lasted as a band for 30 years and they morphed into an acoustic, almost soft rock country bunch I mean, wow, that's a pretty wild. And they disbanded in 2016, I think it was, or 17. You can check your facts yourself if you want. It's like, <laughs> my point in showing that is, you've got to have something of passion in you. Now, these guys were misguided. They wrote a song like that, I get up again when I get down out of a fire in here. And I want to say to you, Nehemiah went to the right place for the right fire to get that get up again spirit in him that was not driven by anger. It was not driven by resentment. It was not driven by these oppressive Assyrians. It was not driven by racial hatred. It wasn't driven by anything but a fire and a vision from God. We can rebuild this thing. I want to say to you with your life, you should be passionate about something. Hmm, two people agree with that. I said you should be passionate about. What are you passionate about? What fires you up? What gets you out of bed in the morning? And assuming it happens now and then, but it might be your job, it might be your family, it might be a mission. I don't know what it is, but if you haven't got a fire in here, I'm telling you, go to God. There's so many things that are broken in our world. There's so many situations that are a flipping mess that God's put a spark in every one of his kids to make a difference. He's like, oh, I'm just Bruce. I couldn't make any difference. That's not true. Nehemiah was just Nehemiah. He just heard a bad news story about a difficult situation, went to God, and a fire went off inside him. How good is that? I want to put a fire in you this morning. Not my fire. I want you to get the fire of God on you. Ask the Holy Spirit to put a spark in you that turns into a raging inferno. Why? Because you are able to be a life changer. You're able to be a person who, who just, because you're full of God, not full of angst, not full of, you know, whatever. You, we can all get upset with everything that's going on around the place. Uh, some of you might have heard me sort of ranting and raving. I've, I've written this really, it was going to be a blog that was about a particular political persuasion and uh, I just got so uptight about all this stuff. I just thought, I've got to write this down. I'm going to send it up. I've got a blog called The Gideon Identity and uh, it's, it's like an identity crisis and it's like, <laughs> write this stuff down. And <laughs> three and a half thousand words later, I read through it. That's all crap. <laughs> Start again. I took out a paragraph, changed this, changed that. I sat in my office and wrote some more. Oh, man, I was getting worked up. And then I worked out, I think, I felt like even the Holy Spirit said, no, you got that off your chest. Um, don't ever publish it. <laughs> okay. So it sits in my, it's, it is actually saved. I might go back and read it in a few years' time and think, what was he on? <laughs> but I, the reason I bring that up is I, I can let some issues put a fire in me. But a, a person who's fired up by an issue is subject to serious derailment. You and I have got to get fired up by the Father. Yeah. 
We've got to get fired up, fathers, by the father. If you've made a fist of being a dad for whatever reason, maybe you've just overstepped the line with discipline or maybe you've just let your kids run right or maybe you just feel like it's too hard or whatever. Like, don't, don't let the scenario dictate your future. Hear from him. Hear from God. There's a way to, if you're down in this dumps about it, get up again. When I get down, I get up again. Don't you love the word of that song? Like it's not even a worship song. It's not even a Christian song. Not written by Christians. It's just, they do say, this is just a little heads up. You might have heard this. I'm sure you probably have. I might just be showing my ignorance. But, you know, the best lies in the world have got a fairly strong thread of truth in them. In order for a lie to be believable, it's got to have some truth in it. Which helps me understand why people who are not well motivated, maybe, extreme left-wing anarchists that have got a bit of a bent about life, they can still write something and sing something that grabs your attention and go, that's correct. That's actually true. That's actually good for me. It's good for you and me to hear somebody say, somebody else telling us, that when they get down, they get up again. My question continues to be, what's causing you to get up? It's got to be Jesus. It's got to be the Spirit of God at work in this. That's what Nehemiah, he went to God. God has to put a fire in us to get up again. Nehemiah was devastated by the news. He had a fire within to do something. God has prepared in advance your life's purpose. Before you were even conceived, before your lineage was put into place. If you want to go back 30, 40 generations and look at the permutation of how many people have had to come together in a union, biological union, over the decades in order for you to be here this morning. It's a miracle. So much, it's so easy to go, yeah, I'm just me. My mum and dad and I have a couple of sisters and I know my cousins and my grandparents and looked a bit of family tree. My family tree ancestry uh, investigations have taken us back to about the 1400s. But it's like at the end of the day, it goes way beyond that. That's just as far as, because records weren't really kept much be, behind that, that that makes sense to us. Um, it's like, but if you could keep going, you just realise every one of us in this room has got this myriad of family connections that have given rise to you being here. And out of all of that incredible mathematical wonder, for me it is, there's this truth God, before any of that happened, saw you and had a purpose for you. He knew you before you were formed, it says in the Word. He knew exactly what it was, what the assignment was he wanted you to have. And he's put a personality in you. He's put a, he's put a disposition in you. He's put you in a family that caused different things to be your experience of life. The question is, and he's asking the question always, what are you going to do with what you got? Ask Moses, what's in your hand? Well, I don't want to lead the people. I can't do it. I'm hopeless. Can't even talk properly. He says, what's in your hand? Stick. I don't know how he came out of stick just because he's a shepherd, but it's like maybe. God looks at you and out of your circumstance, Moses was holding the stick because circumstances had taken him the long road from being thrown in a river in a basket by his mum been rescued by a princess and given back to his mum to bring up and then brought up as a prince in a foreign country called Egypt 
where he got caught up with his heritage and realized that um, it's uh, people that I belong to aren't getting treated well. He took matters into his own hands a little bit and then he got kicked out and then he decided he'd better flee because he killed a guy. I mean, he, he killed a guy. What's your experience been? I'm not suggesting any of you killed anybody. But if you had, it doesn't mean God can't. It does not mean God can't actually have his purpose and plan work out through your life. Some of us sit in church and exclude ourselves from doing wondrous things for God because we feel like our experience is not grand enough or it's not complicated. Haven't got a story of being rescued from the pits of hell. Haven't got a story of coming back from the brink of death from drug addiction and stuff. I haven't got that, but some of us have. I don't need that. All I've got to do is work out what does God want me to do? What does God want you to do as a dad? Dads, are you on track? Are you on course? Are you actually staying the course? Are you actually enjoying being a dad? Or are you waking up sometimes and going, gee, I wish I wasn't a dad. This is all too hard, this gig. It's relentless, never gives up. They're always wanting this, that, and the other. It's like, oh, it's this pressure on. It's like, let's just put all of those, all of those um, variables together into the melting pot and acknowledge even with that, even with our mixed responses, even if we end up like these guys did, brought up in poverty in a very uh, dysfunctional part of northern England back in the uh, sort of, seven, well, basically anyway, time from the Second World War. Interesting, you have a whole lot of bands like the Beatles came out of that neck of the woods. It's just this musicians wondering, what's life about? If you want to know what life's about, read your Bible. If you want to know what God's about, read your Bible. If you want to know what your purpose in life is, talk to God. Let him tell you. He won't, he won't hold back. He won't say, oh, I've got nothing for you. i just got nothing. Bruce, I've got nothing. Now, uh, when, when your line started up, I kind of, I, I put my attention to other more important lines. People with more money, people with more influence. It's, it's like, no, no, get down again. I've got to get amongst you guys. God specifically designed you to specifically do something specific for him. You are unique. You're awesome. You might feel like you're not awesome. You might think, well, I'm trying to be awesome, or some of us unsadly think we are awesome, but, um, and everything in between. But even if you're a person who thinks they're awesome, God's got a purpose for your life. You probably need to learn not to think you're awesome, but it's okay, uh, you know, inappropriately, anyway. Um, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Hey, Lockie, am I making it hard for you to video this morning, jumping up and down like that? <laughs> Got a shout out to our cameraman. He's learning to put up with crazy Pastor Bruce. Come on. Yeah. So let me, let me just list up things I wrote down as I prepare this message. So don't let anger... Don't let rage, don't let disillusionment, don't let power, don't let control of, be that fire. Let God be the fire. Make a decision to get up again. That's my first point this morning. Let's read on in Nehemiah. Now we're down in chapter 2, verse 17 through 20. Then I said to them, this is the people in Jerusalem. He's, by now he's actually got back to Jerusalem. Fantastic story how he actually got commissioned to go back. He got given um, uh, royal... Um, instruction, privilege, um, decree to go back and get all the materials that were needed. It was just a phenomenal 
reawakening of the nation. In fact, some commentators say it was after this period when the walls of Jerusalem had been rebuilt that the national identity of Judaism actually hit the ground running. But it's interesting, after this, this period of time, there's basically 400 years in the Bible where there's silence. There's nothing between the temple being, the second temple, this is called, being rebuilt and uh, Jesus coming. And uh, that's another story for another day. So he says to these people, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And their response was, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. I want to say to you that in our church, as we head towards our Build to Reach uh, event at the end of the month, and I think, did, did an email go out this week, didn't it? Mail out. We mailed out. You should have got something in the mail, like paper, mailbox, unless you happen to be in one of those areas of the Adelaide Hills that gets mail once a week. It might be in the mail tomorrow. Um, anyway, look out for it. We've got an event coming up on Saturday, the 20-something or other, 26th of September. Instead of an encounter service on the Sunday night, we're having a big shebang in here on the Saturday night. Put it in your diaries. We'd love you to be here. Why am I saying that? They, the people, replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. There's a response on the inside of us that this is what God wants us to do. This is where we're headed together. This is what God's hand is on. It's part of being part of a local church is actually understanding that God has a purpose for us. Us as a church, us as a now church in two locations, God's got a purpose for that. So our Build to Reach evening is about our work here in Adelaide Hills and beyond and our workings in Parkside and beyond and our working in the community and our working in places further afield than that. It starts with a yes on the inside of you and me. And we'll get a yes on the inside of you and me when our motivation is not anger, when our motivation is not disillusionment, when our motivation is obligation, our motivation is I've gone to God. Our motivation is I've heard from the Holy Spirit. Motivation is God's got a plan for my life. Motivation is God's got a purpose for me in this church. God's got a purpose for me in our community and it works out through my participation in this congregation. That's what it means to be the gathered church. And get this, very next verse. So they say, let's do this thing. The very next verse but Sanballat the, the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it and they mocked and ridiculed us. As soon as you say yes to a fire from God, get ready for some peanut to pipe up by email, visiting you in the office, knocking on the door, bumping into the street, somebody you probably like or know or related to tells you you're an idiot. What are you doing that for? You want, you give money to the church? What are you, on drugs or something? It's like people will come out of the woodwork to oppose the purpose of God, always. Don't be put off by that. Be encouraged by it. Let the fire of his presence start to burn. Let that back chat actually be like kerosene, diesel, petrol, or nitroglycerin in your fire. Let it just, I'm, I'm more determined. I'm more determined than ever to keep pushing into what God has for me. Is this helping anybody? 
So I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. There you go, right there. Church, I'm saying to you today about what we're planning to do going forward at C3 Church Adelaide Hills, God will give us success. Why do I know that? Because I think I have worked out pretty much what my purpose is in God. I'm supposed to be a preacher and a pastor and a leader of a church, and I'm doing it. And if I'm doing what he wants me to do, I've got to be confident, and I am confident, that he will give me success. I want to say to you, if you're confident that you're actually in his purpose for your life, guess what? I've got good news this morning. You will succeed in what you're doing. It'll flourish. It'll be fruitful. It'll be life-giving. It'll be a fountain of life. It'll be a fountain of love. It'll be a fountain of restoration, redemption, grace, mercy, and peace, because that's the nature of the kingdom. If there's anything else coming out of it, it's possibly a little off track. It's just not quite in the zone. Get your life into the zone. Amen? Amen. Number two this morning is know what you want to build or rebuild and be passionate about it. I've kind of already covered that. Understand what needs to be built first. Now, in the chronology I mentioned a little while back, I think it's probably important to leave it the way it is in the Bible. And that is the first thing to get right when your life's a mess, the first thing to get right when you've got your back to the wall, maybe your life's not a mess, but you're kind of like, what do I do now? What am I going to do now? First thing to do is build a place of worship. Get the temple rebuilt. Build a place where you worship him. Whether that's a space physically or whatever, build a place where you worship God. Place of worship And then Nehemiah's story is about building the walls. What does that represent for us today? In 21st, it is 21st century, isn't it? 21st century Australia. We don't, as I said, we don't have walls around the city of Mount Barker or around the city of Unley or the city of whatever. Go to some of the European cities today and there are remnants of the old city wall. The old town is still there. You just go anywhere through Germany, you can always find the old town, the Altstadt. It's it's just, it's there and it's normally got remnants of walls around it. We don't have that history, particularly here in Australia, so we, we miss the point of this, but what are the walls around it? The walls around a city keep bandits out and the walls around the city keep the people in the city in safety. So there's threats from outside and then there's let's just call it restraint from the inside so you can't just go out wherever you like you can't just go and wander out of the city anywhere there are gates that you go through and the gates in this story as they often did have signify there's gates that had names and they represent things even today we can find some things as analogies out of the names of the gates and that might come up in a few weeks as we Plough through Nehemiah together. So at this point, number one, build a place of worship. Whether that's private space, whatever. Nehemiah 2.12 says, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding. So a couple of things here is take, take, the, take the first step, worship. Understand what other steps you need. Do some planning, whatever that might be. And in verse 17, there's just a description of just how broken down the place was. It's like, it's, to me, it's an invitation. Make sure you, you assess the situation honestly. Make sure you're very aware of just how 
how stuck you are if you're stuck, how dysfunctional you are if you're dysfunctional, how angry you are if you're angry, how disappointed you are if you're disappointed, like how resent-filled you might be if you're resent-filled or full of unforgiveness. Like don't, don't minimize the problem. Let God be God and take the problem to him in a faith place that no matter how desperately complicated and messed up you've become in a situation, it's not beyond his power to rebuild your life. It's not beyond his capacity to rebuild your life. I mean, God is God, right? And he's got the right tools for you to do it. And then the last thing, as I mentioned before, I'll finish with this, is, and then God will give us success. They actually built a city wall and the city of Jerusalem, the wall, the wall they're talking about, not a small structure, they built it in 52 days. That is like today you'd think they've got out the bobcat and the cranes and all of the paraphernalia you need to do a construction job, cranes, um, scaffolds, the mandatory safety officer. Um, um, anyway, I digress. Um, the God of heaven will give us success. Maybe you've lost sight of that truth this morning. Maybe as a dad, you're wondering, are we, are we going to get through this? Maybe your family's in the middle of some deal that's just especially complicated and or heavy or weighing you down. Or maybe you're just worried about something. I want you to hear this this morning. The God of heaven will give you success. Now, it may not be today. And it may not be tomorrow. It might not be in 52 days. But I think, for me, the power of this story is as, uh, and as it connects with Father's Day is this. One of the greatest roles a dad can do is to teach his kids the purpose of boundaries. The purpose of building walls, not to exclude people because you don't like them. I'm not saying that for a moment. But boundaries are about Choices, things we will do and things we won't do. Things that we'll be flexible with. The gates are there for flexibility. So the wall's there to prevent one way or the other of movement. But it's not like we're, we're stuck in this prison and there's no way out. There are gates in the wall for a purpose. And so there's always places to let off steam. There's always places to remove, like there's a gate called the dung gate. No guesses about what used to go out the dung gate. It wasn't the other way. It was taking stuff out. There's, there's things, dads, you can teach your kids to have a dung gate. Teach your kids. There's stuff that should not stay in here. It's supposed to be excreted. It's meant to be taken out of your life. There's things that are meant to be put into your life. There's the fountain gate. Like a dad could teach his children what's the, what's the source of life. It's praying. It's actually being humble before God. It's actually having the river of life. Show your kids how you live in the river. If you don't do, if you don't live in the river, get in the river and get on with it because your kids need somebody to teach them how to actually get in through the fountain gate to bring life into their life. A message could go on for hours, and um, I'm not going to. I'm going to stop right here because there's more weeks to come. Why don't we stand to our feet? Is this sounding like something that's interesting? 
This is part one. We've got another three weeks to go. We've got some fantastic things to find from the book of Nehemiah. I love this story. It is powerful. Uh, it's life-changing. It certainly was country-changing. Um, it was adaptable, flexible. Uh, most of all, it was successful. I want to pray over you this morning, dads in particular. Father, I pray for every father right now in the name of Jesus that we would understand completely afresh how to establish boundaries in our own life, how to demonstrate those boundaries work, Lord, to actually help our kids, whatever age and stage they're at in life. Those of us that have got adult kids, Lord, I just know that as a dad, there's a different level of responsibility, there's a different level of interaction that is still about demonstrating the flow of life, still about demonstrating resilience, still about demonstrating compassion and mercy, still demonstrating the ability to admit I made a mistake or I'm wrong. It's never too old to let those things be part of your fathering dads. Pray for those, Lord, that have got young kids, little people in their family, Lord, that can drive them nuts, Lord, little kids that can be relentlessly in your face. Pray that dads would demonstrate patience. Lord, that dads would demonstrate mercy. They demonstrate unending love like you have for us. I pray for every family today that's represented here, whether there's a dad now in it or not. Lord, I pray that your breath would come. Lord, that as we talked earlier in this message about having a fire in our hold, I pray that every one of us, men and women here this morning, would come to you to get that fire established, to get that passion established, to find that purpose you have for us and to go for it with all our might. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've never given your life to Christ, you need to. He doesn't occupy spaces he's not been asked into. He occupies spaces where he's been invited into. God's everywhere, people say. Well, that's true, he is. But one place he's not is inside a person who doesn't want him. Interesting conundrum thought, isn't it? God's everywhere, and he is. The whole universe is filled with his presence but he doesn't invade the space of a human being who either hasn't heard about him or doesn't want to know about him. So we preach the gospel so people hear about him. That's one problem solved. Number two, we then make invitations like this is, do you want to let the creator of the universe in? He's waiting for you to ask him. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, don't for one minute think he comes in by osmosis. He comes in by you deciding to accept Him. And so this moment is really important. You've never prayed a prayer to invite Jesus into your life. We can do that in about 30 seconds. Sometimes when we get Jesus in our life, for whatever reason, we begin to believe the lie that was a bad call. And we can move away from Him thinking, I've got some other things I'd rather be doing with my life. Hearing a message like this today might be just the trigger for you to go, you know what, I've been an idiot. That was a foolish thought. I want to come back to Him. If you've moved away from God but you want to come back to Him today, you too could come through prayer. 
back into full fellowship with him and let him guide your life. So I just want you to close your eyes for 15 seconds. Think about where you're at. You've never invited Jesus into your life. Well, you have, but you know you've turned your back on him and have long left him behind. And you want to come back. If you're in either of those positions this morning, if you're listening online, I'm talking to you as well. These two questions are so important. We can pray a prayer in a moment that invites Jesus to establish his kingdom in your life for the very first time or again. So while eyes are closed, I want you to give me a wave. If that's you here in this meeting, obviously you're online, I can't see you, but if you put your hand up, that's a good thing. Show God you're serious. Give God an indication. That's me. You've got me, Pastor. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So what we're going to do, church, we will pray because we cannot see who's doing what on the other side of that camera lens. And I'd like to make sure we don't leave anybody wondering uh, at the end of an online service. So would you, as the congregation gathered, say this after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love me. I thank you Jesus died on a cross as a sacrifice for my sin, for our sin, once for all. He paid the price in full. Lord, in that knowledge, I bring my sin to you. I confess my shortcomings and I repent. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. I ask you to save me. Thank you for bringing me into your family. By faith, I declare I'm now a child of God. And I'm so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a clap offering.